0: Welcome to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. And as always, thanks for tuning in. Today, we are continuing our series of shows that look back at 2021 and the biggest news stories and developments around specific issues or topics. Now, there's no year that goes by that doesn't bring with it all kinds of stories about the environment and about climate. But this year was a bit different for those of us here in Southeast Michigan. We experienced some of the worst storms we've ever seen, and not just one of them, but one after the other. And those storms caused some of the worst flooding that we have ever seen here in Southeast Michigan. The frequency of those flooding events really drove home the idea that we're living in a different and new climate reality, one that we are just not prepared for. On top of that, we had other forms of really severe weather that knocked out power, internet, and cell phone service to thousands of people here in Michigan. Each time this happens, we come on the air here at Detroit Today and talk about how we need to be in a really different frame of mind about these things. Everyone gets really upset when the power goes out from a powerful windstorm or when basements and streets flood because of the crazy kinds of rains that we see in the summertime right now. And we want to blame the utility companies and we want to blame the government for not being more prepared, not having a better infrastructure above the ground, below the ground, to be able to weather this this change. But really, it's not just about the utility companies. It's not just about government. There are some things that those of us who are victims of climate change need to do as well to make sure that we're prepared for these things, that we don't live... Month to month, week to week, fearing the next time it rains. Think about how nuts that is. We fear the weather. We fear normal weather right now because it could leave us without power. It could leave us without internet, that precious connection to every other human on the planet. That's where we want to begin the conversation today, and we want to spend the hour talking about that and many of the other really big environmental stories of 2021. And we've got a really great guest and friend of the show here with us to help with that. Nick Shrek is Associate Dean of Experiential Education and an Associate Professor at University of Detroit Mercy School of Law. Nick, welcome to Detroit Today. Thanks, Stephen. So, um, my opening there was a little bit of doom saying uh, it might be the darkest opening i've i've had here in 2021 uh let's start here am i am i out of my mind am i overreacting am i talking about these things in a sense of emergency that doesn't exist or or am i right that this really calls us to a very different reality that we have not yet quite wrapped our minds around.
1: Well, I think you're right. I mean, it is a it's a different reality. It's a a new world in a changing climate. And really what I think this year, you know, 2021 showed us were actual impacts. You know, we're feeling these impacts of climate change. Whereas, you know, previously they may have been more hypothetical or things that were happening in the Arctic or or in faraway places. But, you know, that rainstorm in, in June where we had six inches of rain that you mentioned in your intro. I mean, that is something that while each individual weather event, we don't want to directly tie to climate change you look at these trends over time, and we are seeing these more increased storms that really have devastating impacts on us here locally. And then you start looking at all the things that are also happening around the world, whether they're you know, droughts in the Western United States and the forest fires, uh, the flooding in Europe. I mean, this real climate disruption that does have us in a Unique and challenging uh, time, which is different. So you're absolutely right to be alarmed, and I think um, we often—it's again hard for us to conceptualize something like climate change or global warming. But this summer, you know, again showed us these impacts right here in Michigan and really brought it home to many of us. And and it seems to me, and again,
0: I'm certainly not an expert on any of this, not from the scientific standpoint uh, for sure. But a, a few weeks ago, or or last week, really we saw these very, very dramatic windstorms out west, Mm -hmm. and they caused all kinds of chaos there. But then a few days later, we had similar wind, high winds here. Now, not as bad as what they had out west, but worse than we would normally see in December, for instance, when that's not the kind of weather... That we're used to. And it seems to me that those kinds of things, things that happen in one part of the country or part of the planet that then migrate to another part of the country or the planet are, are reminders of the global nature of climate change and the global consequences of that climate change. Something that happens in Colorado on Monday could cause real problems for us on Saturday in Michigan.
1: That's right. And I mean, it shows how we are all connected and how really delicate many of these natural systems are that moderate things like our weather and our climate um, here in Michigan. Um, You know, there's a lot of research going into looking at how, warming temperatures are perhaps altering ocean currents or are altering ocean currents. And that might be leading to changes in the jet stream, right? That that powerful upper level atmosphere air current that um, really helps determine whether we're on the warm side of a front or the cold side of a front. We're starting to see that jet stream move and fluctuate. Um, we've experienced these these polar vortex phenomenon, right? Uh, a couple of winters ago, we had that really extreme um, Arctic air here, that air mass just sitting over Michigan. And that, again, it's, a kind of a weakening of the jet stream because of warming air temperatures, which then change ocean currents. And so all this stuff is connected. You see things, I mean, goodness, the, the, the tornado outbreak um, in, in Kentucky just a couple of weeks ago, I mean, there again, you're seeing in December, In December, right? This is not normal. We need to pause and remember. In December, we're seeing not just a tornado, but a tornado that traveled over the longest distance we've had recorded in this country. And so, I mean, that just shows you the level of, again, climate disruption that we're experiencing because of these warmer global temperatures. And yes, we are feeling those impacts right here in Michigan.
0: Yeah. Uh, We are talking with Nick Schreck, Associate Dean of Experiential Education and Associate Professor of Law at the University of Detroit Mercy School of Law. We're talking about the year in environmental news and developments, one of many shows we're doing here as we get toward the end of 2021, looking back at that year on a number of different fronts. Uh, taking a look at uh, things that happened and things that we might forecast for 2022. We want to hear from you during this conversation, as we do during all of these conversations. Give us a call and let us know what are some of the environmental stories that caught your attention most this year? What were your experiences with these incredibly powerful storms and the massive flooding and other severe weather here in Michigan in 2021? Uh, are you worried about how different our lives will look as climate change continues to intensify? And what do you think the world will look like in 20 years? What do you want government officials, utility companies, the other folks who maintain our infrastructure, for instance, to be doing to prepare for all of these changes? As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313 Five seven seven one zero one nine. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll work you into the conversation that way. Uh, Nick, before we move on to, to some other subjects, I, I have another question about all, all of the things that we've seen here in Southeast Michigan this year. As I said in the open of the show, people are getting angrier and more impatient, I think, with utility companies and with government about the ways in which we prepare for these things. I mean, I, I feel like there are kind of two fronts of this conversation. One is what can we do to mitigate uh, the, the effects that, that we're having on climate change? What can we do to, st- to stop or maybe even slow the the way in which climate is changing? But the other side of the discussion is about what we do to, to, to be prepared for these things so that, you know, we're not wandering around in the dark for, for weeks uh, right. on end when it, when it happens. Uh, I, but, but then I also challenged us as, as individuals to, to, to start thinking about things we could be doing differently on on both of those fronts. I wonder if, if you could just spend a little time talking about what kinds of changes you think we should be prepared to make Uh, especially in the short term, because I I don't expect that that this weather is going to be temporary. I think we're we're going to see it continue to change and we're going to have all of these things that challenge us. What should we be prepared to do or to think about doing uh, as we get into 2022 and, and later into the decade?
1: Yeah, great question. And there's there's some basic stuff and some things that are already in motion um, to try and reduce the amount of power outages from windstorms, thunderstorms, tornadoes, that kind of thing. Um, you know, one of the things that was pretty striking with that tornado outbreak in Kentucky is that we actually had similar or higher power outages in in Michigan um, from, from high winds. And, you know, we didn't have that same, you know, really heavy tornadic activity. Um, and so that, you know, people are kind of scratching their heads, like, you know, what, what's the deal? Well, a lot of it has to do with, we have an older grid here in Michigan, um, meaning the, the utility lines, the power lines that move power from generating sources like coal-fired power plants or, you know, wind farms, that kind of thing, moving that power from those generating sources to our homes. Um, some of that infrastructure is older and needs to be updated. And then a big thing is tree trimming. You know, this, this isn't like the sexiest thing. And, and you know, I'm, I'm a, you know, a, a tree lover. I have to be forgiven for that. But, um, you know, tree trimming is really important. And this is something that the State Public Service Commission, which is a regulatory body that has oversight over our publicly owned utilities, Detroit Edison, Consumers Energy, for those of us here in Southeast Michigan, um, they've been required to spend more money on tree trimming because they had not been doing uh, that, that type of work to the extent necessary to avoid these large-scale power outages. And and that's a big problem, right? So, um, I mean, remember, Stephen, several years ago, I know you do, uh, the fires we had in Detroit from, um, you know, dead mm-hmm. trees or or tree limbs that fell on power lines and then those power lines sparked fires so it's not just a power outage issue it's also a very significant public safety issue mm-hmm. and so you know that's something that you know we really need to see more investment in the tree trimming and then you know this is something for those of us that are, are thinking about landscaping in our yards you know not planting trees directly under utility lines giving a little bit of a setback um so that number one they don't they don't interfere with those power lines but you'll also see those trees um lost, cut down, and when they come through and do tree trimming. So that's a really basic thing. Um, you know, there's a lot we can do with with smart grid, and, and many of us now have these, um, you know, wirelessly connected meters, electric meters on our homes mm-hmm. that more quickly enables utility companies to see when there is an outage. You know, if you just have a, a power line that's just down connecting from your home to the, the service line, they would know that, you know, more instantly, even without you, you know, calling or, or leaving them a message. So, you know, there, there's ways that we can react a little bit more quickly, but a lot of it just, again, comes down to, good maintenance and investment. Um, and, and those are some things I think we can do today, right? There's no reason to put that off. We can do the tree trimming. We can do the, the upgrades to the infrastructure now rather than waiting for the next storm. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Okay. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we are going to continue this conversation with Nick Shrek, of the U of D Mercy Law School about the year in environmental news. We will also get to you, our listeners, uh, both on the phones and on social media, Jim and Gross Point Woods, you'll be up first. If you want to join, uh, give us a call. 313 577 1019 is the number here on the phones. Tell us what you make of the year in climate news here in Southeast Michigan and around the globe. Uh, tell us what you think you would be willing to do, maybe things you would be willing to change. To make us better prepared for these really intense storms and the consequences of them. What would you be willing to do to try to slow the climate change that uh, we're experiencing? What would you be willing to give up, maybe, is a really interesting question. 313 1019 is the number here on the phones. That's 313 1019 You can go to Facebook or Twitter, put comments there, and we'll include you that way. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. Detroit Today on 101.9 WDETM, Stephen Henderson. And as always, thanks for tuning in. We are talking today about the year in environmental news with Nick Schreck, Associate Dean of Experiential Education and Associate Professor of Law at the U of D. Mercy Law School. Uh, we want to hear from you during the conversation about the things that stand out in your mind uh, that happened this year, either in terms of wild climate The wild summer that we had with all these storms or in terms of the consequences of uh, that wild weather, the flooding that we saw, the outages. What do you think we ought to be doing? What do you think our utility companies ought to be doing differently? Government uh, also, what kinds of things ought we to be changing about our habits, uh, and the things that we do that are not only fueling climate change, but maybe accelerating it. As always, the number on the phones here is 313-577-1019, 313-577-1019. You can go to social media as well to participate in the conversation. Let's start today with Jim in Gross Point Woods. Jim, welcome to the show.
2: Uh, thank you, uh, Stephen, for letting me on. Can you mm-hmm. hear me all right?
0: Yeah, I can hear you just fine.
2: So I'm a retired research geologist, so I know that you know, having looked at rocks for the last 35 years, that you know climatic changes can really uh, lead to very dramatic shifts, like the dominant species before a major climatic change is not usually the one that's dominant afterwards. So mm. I'm really concerned, and my recent concerns are especially I've been depressed since Mansion. Pulled out of the uh, Build Back Better bill and the support of the, uh, uh, you know, the climate spending there. And I, I just want to add that the, the the hypocrisy. I mean, there was 55 a uh, 555 billion dollars in in that uh, bill for climate uh, features, and Manchin says, you know, it's the whole bill is too costly. Well, he voted for the National Defense Authorization Act that has $778 billion in it for one year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we spend more on defense than the next 11 countries combined. So that's really got me depressed over the last few days. Mm.
0: Uh, Jim, I, I, I love the the sort of connections you're drawing there between political behavior in Washington and the things that, that we experience in the rest of the the country uh, nick schreck we hadn't quite gotten to the conversation about national environmental policy yet but this is a good place to start it this build back better legislation has a lot of money in it that would do some of the things that you were just talking about that we need to do uh, it is stalled because well in, in political terms it's stalled because of joe manchin from West Virginia, who's a Democrat, but but who's a conservative Democrat from a pretty conservative state, and and doesn't like a lot of the things that are in this bill. I I keep saying that the only reason that's true is because we haven't elected more Democrats in other places in order to make his vote uh, irrelevant. I mean, uh, at some point you have to you got to have more 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 people on board in order to to do these things. But but it does matter that. This thing keeps getting delayed and and threatened uh, with with not passing because of the things that we're talking about. Uh, there, I, I don't know that I've seen another piece of legislation that had more money, more focus on uh, climate change uh, in in recent years.
1: Right, that that Build Back Better bill would be the most significant investment in clean energy, renewable energy, and also providing a transition for those that are working in jobs that are that are focused more on, uh, you know, carbon heavy industries like like coal mining. Uh, in fact, I thought it was interesting. Um, the the union that represents mine workers, United Mine Workers came out um, and actually were encouraging Senator Manchin to get back to the bargaining table because, you know, they see these investments in. We, we, we know that we have to, to change right like every person regardless of politics understands at this point that um you know we, we need to change our behavior going forward or we're going to continue to have a warmer world which will be more dangerous in terms of of weather disruptions in terms of, of heat extreme weather and all of that um i mean you know the question is how do we get there and i, and I think that's where folks like Senator Manchin um, have been still, you know, kind of dragging their feet on trying to, to move forward. I'll, t- I'll just mention, you know, when he first ran for the Senate, um, this this was back, uh, there was discussion at the time over the a national climate bill. So we're talking, you know, 2009 um, and Manchin's campaign launch video was actually him shooting a copy of that that climate bill. I don't know if you remember that, Stephen, <laughs> but that was like what he did. He actually took a shotgun and shot this this legislation. Mm-hmm. So, you know, not surprising that he would be a, a foe on climate legislation. But of course, there's all sorts of other things in that bill that you would certainly think that um, a senator from West Virginia would want to support, you know, investments and in child tax mm-hmm. and uh, tax credits and that kind of thing. Um, but it just just real quickly, too, you know, on on investment, I mean, it is really important for us collectively to invest. Invest in things like cleaner and renewable energy. But a lot of this stuff is already happening. It's just that we need to continue to scale it up. Uh, We're seeing the cost of, of wind and solar to generate electricity. That is, it is cheaper now than generating electricity from coal. And so, you know, we're really seeing these things happen by a change in market conditions. And from previous public money being invested in these technologies. And so it, it really, I mean, to me, it's kind of shocking that we're, we're not all on board here because it's a great way to create jobs and invest in a, a healthier future for all of us. And so, you know, I, I still hope that we, that we get there soon because we are um, you know, really up against it in terms of, of the climate crisis. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Again, Jim really appreciate uh, the call and the comments. Let's go next to Karen and McComb. Karen, welcome to the show.
3: Good morning, Stephen. Thanks for taking my call again. Uh Sure. Um, So one of the things I want to address is the story that's not being covered. Um, You know, we constantly hear about um, having to find alternate ways to end our fossil fuel addiction and all these other um, stories regarding climate change. But what's not being covered um, is huge and that's the factory farming because what's that? what that does is it's destroying our planet through soil erosion, water pollution, air pollution, methane gas. Um, there was a teenage boy in Ithaca, New York years ago that suffered brain damage because the nearby um, hog factory farm, they were not disposing the manure correctly and the people in the uh, surrounding houses, they couldn't even open their windows. The stench was so bad. They actually had liquid manure coming out of their faucets. Mm. Um, this is absolutely horrible. And then, you know, there's also the horrific animal cruelty. And I understand that, you know, most people just are of the mindset, I don't care. I want to eat my hamburger or whatever. I can say this, you know, a reasonably prudent person would not even be able to stay an entire day on the kill floor and still want to eat animals after that. Mm. So, um, you had asked about what can you do differently, uh-huh. uh, what, what actions can you take? to curb this well you know of course i'm going to advocate going vegan but i'm also going to say in regards to utilities turn off what you're not using and if there's any possible way that people can afford to use alternate um you know energies to you know, please yeah. do so and walk instead of you know driving to the store that you know is around the block or six blocks away. Walk, 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 right. walk wherever you possibly can.
0: So, Karen, um, I, I I don't want to cut you off, but uh, but I, I I get I get what you're saying here, and I, I think it's a really interesting point. It's something that we don't talk an awful lot about, which is the impact of uh, these these kinds of um, uh, you know, factory farms that that, that mm-hmm. you're talking about and the environmental danger they pose. I, I, I think it's, I guess, what, what I find most interesting about it, again, is that it challenges us in our daily lives, I guess, to think differently about the things that we're doing. I eat meat, uh, and, and I know lots of other people who do. It's not that unusual. I don't think that much about the environmental impact of what I'm doing I think about it from a health perspective and try not to eat as much of it as as uh, I might like to but but there is an environmental cost of being able to have the kind of food that that we have Nick I wonder what you make of uh, the tension that 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 Karen is raising here
1: Well, a lot of great points, and and she's absolutely correct about um, methane emissions, you know, being a key driver of of climate change. Um, That's something, you know, one of the things that came out of the the COP26 meeting, which was the big international meeting in Glasgow, Scotland last month, um, you know, trying to come towards more global climate agreements was uh, an initiative to further reduce methane emissions globally. One way that we can really do that here in Michigan and across the United States is by reducing the amount of animal livestock, because it's absolutely correct that, um, you know, the, the amount of, um, energy intensity, the amount of, 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 you know, grain that, that a beef cow has to eat, uh, uh, to, to generate a pound of meat is, is very significant. And so, you know, trying to think about that, right. Think about those impacts, you know, maybe doing, you know, the meatless Monday thing or trying to reduce a day or two of, of days that you are eating meat that does help. It certainly does. And we can also, um, look at our land use. So this is another huge issue. She mentioned the just the the nuisance created by these large concentrated animal feeding operations. They're really factory farms and the smell, the odor can be really devastating to people in surrounding communities. And then a lot of animals create a lot of waste, right? Uh, they're, They're creating a lot of manure, a lot of urine that has to be managed. And that's oftentimes when we see damaging releases into the water, you know, into a river or a lake, it can be from some of these lagoons that are holding back this livestock waste. And so there are a lot of environmental impacts, um, you know, changes to land use, uh, taking areas that were, um, you know, fields or meadows or forests and, and changing those over to livestock it's a big problem in the United States, but also a huge problem in places like Brazil that is really driving the deforestation Hmm. down there in the rainforest uh, is to grow beef. I mean, that's what they're doing, right. They want to raise cattle. So um, I mean, and then of course we're, we're sharing in that um, through our consumption. So yeah, definitely something for us to think about in a, in a change that we can make. And I do have to give a shout out real quick to the walking too. Um, You know, I'm a huge transit proponent and (laughs) to the extent that we can, you know, ride the bus, uh, you know, using mass transit and then walking, hundred percent. That's the great way to do it. Also a a bike, you know, two wheels and a pedal. I mean, that's that's a really good way to not only reduce our own footprint, but get a little bit of exercise and fresh air, which is which is great, too. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Again, Karen, I really appreciate the call uh, and the comments. Uh, Nick, I want to talk about water now and uh, I want to talk about drinking water here in the state of Michigan, um, th- this is a- an issue that we have been aware of for a really long time. And of course, the Flint water crisis really focused our attention on it, but it's not gone away. And in some ways, I feel like we might be in, uh, well, not a worse position, because I think there is a plan to, to try to address uh, the, the, the the access to clean uh, drinking water. Uh, but, but there's also, uh, I think, Other issues that have cropped up that maybe make it worse. And I want to point specifically to a recent study done at the University of Michigan on water affordability that talks about Mm. how much we pay for water here in Michigan and how many people, because of the cost, don't get access, which is another uh, huge issue, especially here in the city of, uh, of Detroit. So let's start with uh, where where you think we are with drinkability and access to clean drinking water? We all know what's going on now in Benton Harbor, which uh, to me seems uh, inexcusable on a level that uh, that that exceeds what happened in Flint because because of Flint, right? That that was in 2015 that that right. uh, that we had that problem. How can we have it again in 2021? Uh, again in another city with a majority black population and, and a poor population. So let's start there with, with the sure. overall picture on, on drinkable
1: water. So in response to Flint, um, Michigan did change our, our regulations under something called the lead and copper rule. And these are regulations that require sampling of our drinking water uh, to in- ensure that we're not getting you know these high amounts of, of lead and copper in our drinking water that can be harmful to our health. Now, lead is a very powerful neurotoxin. There is really no safe level of lead. And so long as we have lead pipes in the ground that are delivering our drinking water we run the risk of a situation like what happened in flint or what is happening in benton harbor where either improper treatment or poor management of of water treatment facilities can lead to lead leaching out from those pipes getting into drinking water and then getting into people's homes And I do have to I have to give a a shout out to my friends at the Great Lakes Environmental Law Center. They, working along with the Natural Resource Defense Council, filed a petition to the Environmental Protection Agency um, to really shine a light on what was going on with these high levels of lead um, in the water in Benton Harbor. And and that really led the state to then kind of kickstart some action, including providing bottled water to people um, and, and really working to more quickly get investment into Benton Harbor to replace those lead service lines. So, you know, where we're at in the state, we still have a lot of these lead service lines around in our communities. They need to be replaced. The good news is we now do have regulations in Michigan that require those lead service lines to be replaced. We also now have some money coming in through that uh, bipartisan infrastructure bill that passed through the federal government that will bring you know money into Michigan to help do this lead service line replacement. So that's all good. But but I agree with you. I mean the the fact that it took environmental groups and pastors and community members in Benton Harbor, you know, ringing the bell and saying this is what what is going on here, you know, our people are are being exposed to these high levels of lead that really is unacceptable and we need to do a better job with early warning and with letting people know when there are issues with their water um, how they can protect themselves. So yeah, that that's a that's a huge problem and and on the affordability piece, of course, you know, we're again Similar to our electric and natural gas utilities, we also have infrastructure investments that need to be made in our water utilities. And so, um, and that, those investments cost money, you know, whether we're talking about water or sewage treatment. And a big part of our water bill and our affordability problem in Michigan is because of sewer costs, right? When you look at your bill, you have that sewer costs and that, a lot of that is legacy debt, meaning, you know, debt to make investments in the system over many years. And, And so that, that's a huge problem that we have to face. And, and again, for a lot of folks, you know, it's shocking. Here we are in a state that, you know, we got a lot of water, right? We talked about the rain in Michigan. Um, you know, in many ways, uh, you know, people didn't have to water their lawns as much. I have a big garden. We we hardly had to use our, our water irrigation system for the garden uh, because of all the water we had in Michigan. We're also right here in the middle of the Great Lakes, right? You know, 20% of the world's available fresh surface water right here. And yet we can't figure out a way to get this you know, good, high quality water from the Great Lakes into people's homes in an affordable way. So, you know, we really do need to shift our thinking and look at you know, what rates are we charging to industrial users, to the really mm-hmm. big customers of water? You know, what rates are we charging golf courses? You know, sorry, golfers out there, but they use a lot of water. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, you know, agriculture, too. So, you know, we're kind of thinking how we're, how we're using water and how we're charging rates in, in a way that is is equitable and also affordable for people. So that that is also a huge challenge that, that we continue to face.
0: And I, and I feel like one of the problems is that so water is expensive here in Michigan for uh, everyday consumer, you know, people who just live in a house and and need clean water. Uh, at the same time, uh, the the water systems we have are grossly underfunded in terms of taking care of the infrastructure that that supports them and um, and making sure that they are in good enough shape to to, to deliver clean water to everybody and. It, sometimes the question becomes, you know, should we be paying more for for water to take care of all of the things that need to be taken care of? But uh, that's too simple of a question because of the things you were just talking about, which is that not everybody is paying as much as they probably should for water industrial customers, golf courses, things like that. So it's not just a question of raising more money, through the, the the cost of water, it's about redistributing the burden of that cost as well, which makes it a much more difficult thing to talk about, I think.
1: It, it does. And, and that's where, you know, remember when there was the first big round of, of water shutoffs in Detroit um, mm-hmm. right around the time of the municipal bankruptcy? Um you know, they're really cracking down hard on residential customers mm-hmm. that were in arrears. And yet, you know, I think the big story at the time was Ford Field, you know, Ford Field had this huge water debt that they were um, fighting, you know, they're objecting to it. But, you know, here you are shutting off people's, people's water that they need it for their you know daily lives and sanitation. Meanwhile, you've got a big entertainment venue that that's, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars um, behind on their bill. And so, yeah, I mean, that's just kind of one example of the way that I think we need to shift our thinking about, um look we need water to live it is it is a a human right to that we have to water we need it to be able to to live and so i think we need to frame our our approach that way and then everything else yeah whether it's industrial activity commercial activity recreational activity all of that needs to be further down the priority list and yeah arguably should cost more money right because it's not essential for for our lives hmm.
4: uh,
0: again 3135771019 is the number here On the phones, call and tell us about the things in environmental news that stand out in your mind from 2021. Let's uh, quickly go to Brian in Dearborn. Brian, welcome to the show.
5: Hey, thanks, Steve. Uh Um, So I I worked on a political campaign in Dearborn this year for um, a candidate for mayor. And after the major floods that happened here, we um, basically did our own investigation into the cause of the flooding. And we consulted with engineers and, and, you know, people unofficially with the uh, Army Corps of Engineers in Detroit. And one of the big factors that doesn't get talked about a lot in terms of the flooding issue and our infrastructure is the way in which incremental local changes can have a huge impact on this. And, for instance, um, overdevelopment, right? When we're talking about the amount of water that's going into our sewer systems and leads towards sewer system flooding, When you change even a small percentage of how much of land, especially for people's individual homes, is buildable or coverable in concrete, you're reducing or increasing the amount of water absorption by millions of gallons across your city. Mm. And so one of the things that we don't really talk about is ways in which incremental changes can Really, relieve huge amounts of pressure off of our local sewer systems and the way overdevelopment plays into that. Um, you know, Dearborn Heights, they're actually paying people in the Ecorse Creek area to give up their homes because those homes were just developed in an area that just shouldn't be developed. And so I think a lot of the discussion has focused on these kinds of federal solutions. But we also have to look at the way in which, you know, uh, undeveloped parkland, even golf courses along the rivers, play a huge role as essentially water overflow spaces. And the kinds of steps we can make in reducing the overdevelopment of property that leads to more water going into the sewer system instead of being absorbed by grass, plants, and other sorts of things that are out there.
4: Hmm. Uh,
0: Brian, really appreciate uh, the call and and you injecting that into the conversation here. Uh, Nick, react to what uh, Brian's talking about here, this the, this yeah. built environment that uh, is...
1: Oh, yeah. It's, it's a huge, huge issue, and you got your finger right on it there, Brian. I mean, um, the, the amount of, of concrete and pavement and surface area from buildings... Rainwater or snow, snow melting, that water is not able to be absorbed into the ground in a natural way. It needs to be channeled and and either diverted to a wastewater treatment plant or oftentimes, you know, discharged into a river, lake or a stream. And so, you know, the way that we change our built environment has dramatic impacts on our local ecosystems and on things like managing um, stormwater and water runoff. And and one of the things, too, that we need to focus on is that we have so significantly altered our natural environment here in southeast Michigan that, you know, there are many areas in the city and, and in suburbs that were formerly creeks that are now um, paved over. And, you know, now we have a, a drain or a sewer going through them, um, you know, areas that were wetlands, that were these natural sponges that could absorb that water. Um, we've we've built over those. And so we need to look at, you know, yeah reinvesting in those natural systems. And so that can mean yeah changing abandoned parking lots turning those into green spaces diverting rainwater from a highway into uh, a parkland as the caller mentioned i mean those are those are really good steps that some of that work is being done and and, and there are Actually, there's funds available, again, through that infrastructure bill to, to continue to do some of that green infrastructure work, which is so important. And, yeah, absolutely, those, those kind of local changing, and these are things that can be done through zoning changes at local units of government, cities, townships. Um, they can make changes and invest in, in a greener future, and, and that's a really a positive step forward. And then, you know, collectively, if we have many communities doing that, we get to an improved environment for the Great Lakes and, then, and for further nationally. So, yeah, really, really great point. Yeah.
0: Okay, we're going to take another quick break. And when we come back, we'll continue this conversation about the year in environmental news. Stay with us for more Detroit Today. You're listening to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. My guest this hour is Nick Schreck. He's Associate Dean of Experiential Education and Associate Professor of Law at University of Detroit Mercy's School of Law. We're talking about the year in environmental news, all of the climate change things that we've experienced, all of the powerful storms we had this summer, the infrastructure above ground, below ground, all the things that we need to kind of get our minds around in the next coming years to make life a little more normal and and bearable here. Uh, We want to hear from you, as always, on the phones, 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. Call and tell us what the year in environmental news means to you, what things stood out uh, for you in terms of climate in the last 12 months. Uh, You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, or to Twitter, and we can work you into the conversation uh, that way. Um, let's go quickly to John on the east side of Detroit. John, what's on your mind?
4: Well, as someone who lives uh, down on the, the river, uh, had water in the basement five times out of the last eight years, it's, it's coming to fruition that uh, maybe this wasn't a great idea. Hmm. And, you know, as I've lived here in the first 20 years not having water in my basement, uh, you know, this used to be the Grand Marais, the Great Marsh. And, yeah, we had the Fox Creek, the Connor Creek, and the Milk River running all through this whole area of the east side. And uh, we paved over it, put up a parking lot, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's, it's not working real well. And the thing that is is you know we talk about defunding the police how about defunding our uh, our uh, our armed forces and start really protecting the citizens of the United States to all the things that are creating havoc in our lives you know when when I first moved in here in 94 we had to have flood insurance and then we didn't have to have flood insurance but the problems were never really corrected and now we're back having to purchase flood insurance in order to have a mortgage down here, and the implications are are widespread. You know, it's the cost you can't even see, but they're there. Mm-hmm. And
0: yeah. I, so, so I, John, I wonder, you said something a little earlier about this maybe not being such a good idea. Are you thinking of leaving that part of town?
4: no but you know we've been playing kick the can for thirty years Mm. as to what to do to remediate the flooding down here and we still have three miles of canals down here you know most people don't realize it this area we have five islands we have six bridges we have three miles of canals. this was a marsh that was filled in around nineteen hundred right and we have to figure out yeah. what we're going to do with the 3,400 residential units down here right. to make them livable, how to make them affordable.
0: Yeah. John, I, I really appreciate you calling and, and telling us about that part of the city. I know you call pretty frequently, and we've talked to you a lot this year about all of the flooding that you're experiencing down there. Nick, it strikes me that, again, there there are these, these places that, that people live in our community and all over the country, really, that we got to think differently about, and that we have to do some things to make it possible for people to live in those places without dealing with these kinds of consequences. I suppose the other alternative is to stop living in places like that, right? <laughs> I mean, to tell people, look, we can't sustain, um, you know, we can't sustain. Residential development in an area like that—that's a an entirely different thorny or question. Uh, But but the urgency of of dealing with it, I think, is one of the things that we've just been reminded of.
1: There are thousands, perhaps you know, millions of homes that are in flood-prone areas today, but that will, and then that number will increase with um, rising sea levels and with a warming climate. Um, You know, areas that. Uh, you know, as the caller mentioned, you know, perhaps 20, 25 years ago, uh, weren't as prone to flooding. We're now seeing those types of impacts on a more regular basis. Um, You know, we've all seen the dramatic animations of, you know, what um, a few inches of sea level rise could mean for Miami or could mean for, um, you know, other coastal areas. I mean, we're seeing these, impacts right here in our region um through these these changing weather events and you know obviously we're not on the oceans but great lakes water levels that that's also something that is is tied in part to climate and you know we we just recently had these high great lakes levels where we had all of the flooding and erosion and um you know shorelines just being washed away by by large waves <laughs> driven by these big wind storms you know so you start looking at all these impacts and you, you do look at yes do we have the right types of setbacks in place from the water's edge um, in many parts of michigan i would argue that we do not you know we're not Prepared for this changing climate, you start looking at areas like you know New Orleans and, and all along the Mississippi River, where this this flood insurance issue that again the call raised has been a huge problem. Um, a lot of that is again backed by federal flood insurance, so you know taxpayers are, are paying to to insure or to rebuild some of these homes in flood prone areas. And you know does that make sense long term? You know I don't think so. But then again, you've got a lot of people that have you know, homes with really good neighborhood family connections. And we need to, we need to make sure that we're um, sympathetic to that too. Right. We, we can't just uproot, you know, whole communities without having some impact to, to their culture and life and all of that. So um, yeah, re- really, really, key question is about, you know, where we're building and, and whether we we should continue to uh, stay in those areas. We're, those are the kinds of mitigation steps we're going to, to think about um, in this, in this changing climate. Hmm.
0: Okay. Uh, quickly, let's go to David in Washington, David. I've got not a whole lot of time left, but I want to get you in That's here.
6: okay. Go ahead. I'll speak quickly. Um, thank you for having me on here. I called last time your guest was on with a quick comment about planting trees, and I'd like to elaborate on that. Uh, first of all, this is a regional approach that we need. Watersheds do not see political boundaries. They're going to go anywhere they want water well. And I live 20 miles from Ann Arbor, but what I do on my land in the country can help alleviate flooding in a place like Ann Arbor. How does that happen? First of all, I have a pond. Now, I realize not everybody has the option to do things like this, but governments can, too. There's a pond, and it catches water when it rains. It goes up and down as it gets draughty or as it gets rainy. It's been very full all year. It also has a small little outlet that it drains into a creek at the back of my lot um, that goes into eventually the Huron River. Along that little creek, I have planted a sycamore tree 10 years ago. It's 20 feet tall right now. I planted a pussy willow. It's beautiful. I planted a pawpaw tree. It bears fruit. There's a swamp white oak that was a seedling. I let it grow there. It's now 15 feet. It's easy to do. Mm. Everybody wrings their hands, says, what can the government do? Guess what? We can all plant a tree. We can all care for a tree. If you have land, plant trees, native trees. Mm. If you don't, Find somebody who can who can do that for you,
0: David. But um,
6: that, I, that's one thing we can really do is plant trees. Mm-hmm. In each of us, yeah. we, we can light a candle, not curse the darkness. David,
0: I love that. I love that mm-hmm. suggestion. I love, I love that you called and made it. I have been talking about planting a tree uh, to mark the end of the pandemic. That was one of the things that I really wanted to do to, to kind of celebrate the idea of new life. I haven't gotten to the point where I feel like I can do it yet because the pandemic just won't go away. But um, this idea of planting trees, Nick, as a way of taking individual responsibility for reversing the trend of climate change, it's, it's it's a really moving one.
1: I love it. And and that's, I, you know, cosine 100% with, with the caller. Um, yeah, there's things we can do within our, with our own yards. Yeah. Planting trees. Absolutely. Simple things like rain barrels. You know, I've got a couple of rain barrels off of our downspouts and we use that water to to water potted plants in our garden and that kind of thing. I mean, those are simple things, but it does have an impact in our, certainly in our local ecosystem and our local watersheds. And, um, you know, it's the what a proverb! You know, the society really advances when we we plant trees whose shade we will never sit under, right? So thinking about the future, thinking about you know, two hundred years from now, that that oak tree that's planted, or or that uh, that maple tree, you know, someone will be sitting under the shade of that tree, and, and I think that's a nice thought, right? Something that we're not only doing for ourselves today, but for future generations. Yeah.
0: Okay, uh, Nick Schreck of the U.D. Mercy Law School. Quickly, tomorrow is our festivist show, and we will have our annual airing of grievances. I want to give you a chance to tell us what 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 grievance do you have as we get to the end of 2021?
1: I, I love this opportunity, Stephen. Tomorrow's my birthday, so I'm a festivist birthday boy. Uh, <laughs> and I've, I've always wanted to contribute. So thanks to you and to Jake for working this in. Um, for, you know, for me, I'll, I'll say, you know, my grievance is that our our failure to take collective action right you know whether it's covid you know thinking about other people you know thinking about what what impacts can have to other people what i do um and i'd say the same thing about climate change you know what can i do for myself that can can improve the lives of other people and i think our kind of failure to focus on that is something that that's my grievance for the year and i hope for better in 2022
0: yeah amen to that uh, i hope we can come together a little more and try to beat some of these things as one people instead of a uh, divided nation. Nick Schreck, always great to have you here. Thanks so much for joining Thank us. Thank you, Stephen. That's going to do it for us. Uh, I'll be back tomorrow for our festivist show, and I hope you will too. Make sure you call in with the grievances you have about 2021. This is 1019 WDETFM, Detroit's NPR station. Your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow.